Hello, friends, and welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Colleen Johnson, and I'm here to guide us in raw conversations about thriving in life and work so that together we can step into personal agency and stop letting life happen to us. We'll cover topics like health, boundaries, communication, finances, and worthiness. That badass business you've been dreaming of, it's not so far off. The desire to wake up feeling fully alive, it's right around the corner. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am really excited about today's episode. I think we're going to have a conversation that really I've never had in my lifetime. So I think this will be really fun to to chat and explore today. But before we dive in, I am sitting in my office today. My dog is in his usual spot, snuggled up in a blanket on the floor. And I've got a decaf oat milk latte in front of me today. I went and got a haircut trim today. So I stopped by the coffee shop and picked up some coffee for today's interview. So that's kind of a little bit of where I'm at today. Um, And it's a little bit, it looks like it might rain outside today, but thus far it's been sunny. So it's kind of where I'm at and the day that I've had thus far. And in front of me today, I have writer Tamara K. Selman. And so Tamara woke up one day at the age of 47, unable to read, though her vision was perfectly fine. This experience launched a medical investigation that ended up in a multiple multiple sclerosis diagnosis in 2013. A mother of two 20-something daughters and married for 34 years, Tamara lives and works in a Puget Sound fairy town. She's a widely published writer and columnist who works in the field of patient advocacy and education. Her new book, Intention Tremor, chronicles the five years of her life following her own diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2013, which occurred during her return to college to complete sleep technology certification. A journalist since the 1980s, Tamara holds two medical credentials in sleep medicine, both earned following her MS diagnosis in spite of its symptoms, which include reading, vision, and language deficits. She writes about sleep disorders in service to a broad range of chronic illness communities, including multiple sclerosis, and also pens a column that shares observations about life with MS for multiplesclerosis.net. So Tamara... There's so much there to dive into, and I'm so excited and so honored to have you on today's podcast episode. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I am thrilled to be here, and I love your podcast. I do a lot of gardening, and it is the one that I I really look forward to listening to. It's just so uplifting. Mm. Well, thank you so much. That's so um, encouraging for me to hear. So I love that. And I'd love (laughs) if you could share with the listeners where are you at right now? Where are you recording from and kind of what's in front of you today? Well, there's two scenarios. One of them is that I can look out my window and see the wildlife because I do live in Washington state out kind of in the country and we do have a resident bear. So I haven't, he's not out there right now, but um, I'm keeping my eye on my bird feeders. (laughs) And right outside my window is a big pot that I planted a big brand new flower, flowering plant in. And the squirrels have already dug up most of it. So, oh gosh, I hate that. <laughs> okay, I mean it's a, it's a small price to pay because I just love the wildlife. And then, meanwhile, I'm in my office, which is equally messy because <laughs> I did a big uh, poetry salon last night with some other writers, mm-hmm. and um, 
after I do virtual events, I get really tired. And so I just kind of wait and clean up after I get a string of things done. So I'm kind of living in this sort of stacks of books and papers right now, but it's going to get better. It's a rainy day. So after I'm done here, I'm just going to clean my house and it's going to feel great. <laughs> I love that. I honestly, my husband and I have talked about this quite a bit recently where it's like the spring rainy season right now. Right. And so like, there've been a lot of rainy days, but I actually love rainy days. Cause I do the same thing where I just really enjoy tending to my house and like you know, checking on my plants and playing soft music. And I don't know, there's just something about a rainy day and just everything yes. looks so green it's just, oh, absolutely it's beautiful. I yeah. love it. I love it. And the birds are still out. So you can, if you do go outside, you can still hear them. And I actually cleaned my oven this morning. You know, I didn't clean it, but I, I ran it. So the whole house is nice and toasty right now. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So fun. So, and also I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of all the wildlife you have. I grew up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So I grew up in the woods and we live more so in town um, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin now, but I dream of the day when I can live amidst the wildlife again, because it's so relaxing. So it's funny. It's funny. You should mention that. Cause I think the last time I was in Lake Geneva, cause I used to live in that sort of neck of the woods. Yeah. It was a cicada year. It was another cicada year. So I know that you guys are getting hit with cicadas again. So. <laughs> that's too funny. I didn't realize you were from the, from the area or like have lived in this area. So that's, I mean, yeah, we, in Chicago, but yes, I lived in Chicago for 12 years and we've spent a lot of, you know, to us, Wisconsin was our backyard. We went camping up there and fishing and sailing and it's just a beautiful place. And Lake Geneva is gorgeous. So you live in a really beautiful place. Yes, I, I love it. I'm so excited to get out on the lake this summer. So very excited about that. But awesome. Great. So I'd love to dive in and hear more about your story because I know there's so much there. And I'd love to hear like what what is your story and how did you kind of start? So I know you're writing poetry, but you also have this advocacy work that you do. But what did you have to reclaim to really step into the life and the work that you have in front of you now? Well, um, it's been a kind of a long journey, but I'll try to boil it down a little bit. I have been a lifelong writer. Um, I literally picked up Hawk and crayons as a four and five-year-old and mm -hmm. was writing complete sentences. I, I remember going, I was literally in preschool, which hardly ever happened for someone my age at that time. That was not just a given. Not everybody went to preschool, but I did because I was already reading and uh, one day my parents came with me to preschool and they sat me down or they, they sat down with me in front of the chalkboard. And my teacher gave me a box of chalk and said, just write something on the chalkboard. I thought I was in so much trouble. <laughs> so I was so scared. And I wrote, you know, it was a really simple sentence, but just something off the top of my head, which is, you know, I don't, you know, now I know that's, that's not something that normally happens. And my parents were like, wow. And so in that moment, I realized, ooh, I have this thing. I have this thing that I can do, and it's special. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I think, honestly, I think in that moment, it was the time that I realized that this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is who I am. Not that you ask those kinds of existential questions when you're four or five, but I just felt an identity attached to it immediately, like yeah. a magnet, you know? So um, fast forward to college, and I studied journalism, got a degree in journalism, and I also... Um, took a lot of creative writing classes then and have continued throughout my adult life. And um, since then, I've really um, worked in a lot of jobs, but mostly in the last 25 years, 
I've worked from home um, as an, an editor, a writer, a literary organizer, a small press publisher. I raised mm-hmm. two daughters. And that was the nice thing about the kind of work I do is I can do it at home while raising children. I have some control over my time. And and as long as you have an internet connection, which just happened to be something that came into being about the time I had my first daughter. So it was mm-hmm. 25 years ago. <laughs> so, um, so I've done that for quite a long time. And then I returned to school at age 47 because I wanted to enter into some science writing. I, I come from a family. My father was a scientist and I love science. And I felt like as a nonfiction writer, I felt like it was really important to get some kind of credential mm-hmm. um, if you're going to go so that you can be the expert. That really is the way yeah. to be a writer these days is to have an expertise or some kind of experience. And so I went to study sleep medicine, which has always fascinated me. And I got into this great program. And in the middle of this program, I started having these weird symptoms, which I thought were just, oh, it's just me being tired. I'm a working mom in school. You know, I didn't really take it seriously until I cracked open that giant sleep medicine textbook and I looked down and I couldn't read it. As you described in the introduction, they call it Alexia with without agraphia, I believe it's called. Um, so I couldn't read, called my doctor right away and said, what's going on? Cause I've been a reader and a writer and editor my whole life. How come I can't read? It was like looking at a foreign language. I could see the mm-hmm. letters and there was nothing block, you know, blocking my vision. It's just, I couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. And so at about the same time, I was having other things. I was having some tremors and weird tingling sensations, um, speech problems, my ears were ringing constantly as they are even today, right now. And I was mm. even getting these weird muscle spasms. But again, you know, you're mid forties, you just feel like your body's just kind of, you know, being a 47 year old body and it's not a big deal. So really within a, a day or two, I, I went and saw the doctor la- actually that afternoon and out here where it's a little bit more rural, they have things like trailers that have MRIs in them. And there was a, uh, an MRI trailer portable just across the um, parking lot from the doctor's office. So we said, just go on over there and let's get an MRI. And within two days, they had discovered the lesions on my brain and said, we can't mm-hmm. confirm it yet because you know he's not a neurologist, that it looks like you have MS. And really within like five weeks, I went through a battery of tests down in in Seattle downtown with a neurologist. And then she confirmed it like, which was really, that's lightning speed to actually get a diagnosis that quickly, but I was presenting all the symptoms and it was like such a surprise. So, um, and then, um, so I finished my coursework in the meantime with this, you know, big question mark in the back of my head working overnight shifts at the sleep lab. So this was even harder. It was really Mm -hmm. stressful. Right. And uh, I got my first job as a sleep technologist following my uh, uh, getting my credentials. On the same time, I started my MS treatment, which has all of these side effects. So that was like a nerve wracking day. Like what's yeah. going to happen to me if I'm going to grow a third eye or, you know, you just don't know. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing. And and then I just kept going and I ended up working in the sleep lab and I loved it. I worked in the sleep lab for a couple of years, but it's just working overnight shifts just is not conducive to neurological problems for a million reasons. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to step away from that, but I really loved working with patients and I learned so much, not only about sleep and sleep disorders. And I have a couple myself, but 
also working with people who have chronic illness. It was just, Mm. who knew, you know, and here I had a chronic illness. And so that gave me sort of an advantage maybe. Meanwhile, um, after I I graduated and started my new job, I started writing poetry just to kind of work through this experience of having multiple sclerosis. What does this pathway mean for me now? I just went back to school and it was, it's really hard to go back to school when you're 47 and you have two teenagers in high school. (laughs) I went through all this work and now I have this stupid diagnosis and I was really mad, but um, more mad than scared, I think, (laughs) because I was like, that's not part of the plan. Um, such is life. Right. So I went back and said, wait a minute. Part of the reason why I went back to school is to get this credential. I'll just start writing again. And it took me about a year of putting myself out there and doing a bunch of different things. And I finally created a pathway, a new pathway of writing experiences, writing for doctors and for uh, nonprofits and to finally arrive at this column situation. Um, I had also written a a blog just sharing my experiences with MS that someone, my friend Laura found and read, and she was on that recommended me to get uh, a column for multiple sclerosis.net. So I'm really grateful to her. Mm. And the, the rest is kind of history. Now I'm doing this chronic illness column writing. I'm a sleep educator. I still write for uh, sleep technologists, uh, educational modules. And then I'm this patient advocate and I just published this new book intention tremor just last January. So really when I was four or five years old, um, making that decision, I was going to write to, you know, help people here I am, you know, I'm writing to help people. (laughs) It's kind of a miracle. And it was a really crooked path to get here, but, and, and who, who would ever imagine this would be their trajectory, but it's mine and it's working and I'm just going to make it work for as long as I can. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have so many questions for you because there's, First of all, thank you for sharing your story because that is a lot and that is so much to have had processed and it's really beautiful that you've come to the place that you have um, and that you are helping people. Like that's incredible. The first question that I'd love if you're willing to share is for listeners who are unfamiliar like myself with multiple sclerosis, can you explain a little bit about what is this? Is it a disease? Do you call it a disease? Do you call it a, you so you called it a chronic illness? Can you just share a little bit about it and, and how it comes to be and all of that? Oh, sure. Sure. So, um, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition. It's definitely a disease. It's incurable at this point, unfortunately, and it can be progressive. So essentially in any kind of autoimmune condition describes a condition in which your immune system turns on a system in your body. So someone with Crohn's disease, they have an issue with the immune system attacking part of their digestive system. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain kinds of arthritis, that's the immune system attacking the the tissues in the joints. Well, for multiple sclerosis, um, it's the immune system making the mistake of attacking the coatings on the nerves in the brain. And of course, all the nerves Mm. in your brain, you need them for every function in your body. So, and it seems pretty random where it just happens to show up and they still don't know what causes it, except that there might be maybe a genetic trigger that can be, you know, switch that can go off or on, depending on like a really a perfect storm of situations like low vitamin D and maybe, you know, who knows, uh, maybe you had mono when you were a teenager, I had it twice. Mm. And so that's a, makes it really likely that you might develop it in the future. Not always, but 
So it's all these things come together to create this, the right conditions for it to happen. And it looks like I've probably had it most of my life, but it didn't get to be really bad until I was older and started noticing all these weird Mm. symptoms. But um, for me, one of the most distinct symptoms is a a kind of muscle spasticity known as a girdle band sensation, but we call it unfortunately the hug and it's basically the muscles in your rib cage they tighten and get rock hard and it makes it really hard to breathe and it really it's it hurts um i had that sensation when i was nine years old and no one really pursued it they just thought oh you know whatever she's a healthy young girl it's just a mm. she's pulled a muscle or something right nobody knew yeah. and they still wouldn't even maybe ask even now unless there were other symptoms it's kind of tricky ms um they call it the snowflake disease because no two cases are alike mm. because your symptoms will follow patterns based on where your disease takes place in your brain. So for some people, they can't walk because those motor skills have been disrupted by mm. the symptom attack, right? Sometimes I have speech problems because I have a little bit of uh, damage along the areas that control my speech. Um, some people have visual problems or problems with continence or problems with uh, just controlling their muscles in general. I mean, it can be anything really. So anything that's related to the brain talking to the body. Um, and then there's this overarching fatigue because your brain is actually to do the normal things that everyone else does. Your brain is really working overtime. Yeah. The brain is actually pretty amazing because it's got all these networks to kind of pick up the slack when you have damage but it eats up all of your energy to do that. So we're often pretty tired. Mm, yeah. <laughs> hopefully that is clear what, what that, hopefully that worked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was really, really helpful. Thank you for kind of explaining Good. that because I, I mean, I've, I've heard of MS and I've, you know, seen things about it occasionally, but that's really helpful to understand kind of how, also how it's different for every single person who, who has MS. So thank you for explaining that. The other thing that I just wanted to highlight in your story that, that I think is really, really beautiful is how you kind of felt your purpose when you were in preschool. Like that's so incredible. Um, and I feel like it really points to, so um, as, you, as you know, I talk so much about reclamation where we're, we're coming home to those magical parts of ourselves that say, this is who I am. This is who I'm supposed to be. It's those little shiny parts that oftentimes get you know conditioned and there's different messages from the world that happen and whatever it may be that keep us from shining in that. So that's really incredible that you felt that at such a young age and you lived into it. Like you went to school for that and were able to continue and you've really held on to that throughout your life, even when these other things kind of come at you and have kind of you know, shaken your world a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, like how, cause I'm sure that you had things to kind of shook you off balance, even as a, a kid, mm -hmm. how did you really handle that to and like, how did you stay, stay so attached to that? That's a really good question. No one's really ever asked me that, but what a fun thing to explore. I feel extremely lucky because I think by and large, the vast majority of us don't, we, we may live our lives and never know the quest, the answer to the question, why am I here? Mm. 
And I'm not sure that I even understood that when I was four or five, I just knew that I had this thing and I should do it. And I loved it. And it gave me joy and it gave me a sense of purpose. And um, I guess I had kind of a rough childhood, not going to sugarcoat it. Um, There's some mental health issues in our family and we moved around a lot. So I was pretty um, introverted. And so writing and drawing and other forms of just creative expression were just go-tos. I mean, and so in a sense, I was like practicing art therapy my whole childhood without even realizing it. And that, that I think um, helped me to just keep carving those skills without even knowing what, what my big plans were. Cause again, you're not making big plans when you're four or five, you're just hanging out and playing and, you know, hopefully enjoying life, you know, mm-hmm. learning, learning lots of things. And yeah. I, I do come from a family where curious intellectual curiosity is rewarded. So that was good. I, I have that blessing. And I guess I just, I just felt like this is something that I really love to do so much that it just, it was like a no brainer, so to speak, to go to college and study writing in some form and just make that what I do. Mm. And then, but you're right. There could have been a lot. I could have gone into advertising writing or I could have been, you know, there's so many ways to be a writer that are not aligned with what I'm doing now. So I think, yeah, staying on that trajectory, I think there's just also this other thing. And I think it's um, something I inherited from my mother. It's a a level of compassion that um, she had that I think I inherited and I see it in my own children now, which is so amazing. So I, I feel like when I help other people, I just feel so much better about myself. I mean, no matter what it is that I'm doing, I'm one of those consummate volunteers and I, I can sit at a table and help promote anything for, you know, for a good cause. It's just in me. Mm-hmm. So I have to credit my mother <laughs> for that. And then I have my grandmother also to thank for teaching me that you make the best of what you have. And so um, mm-hmm. that way, you know, when you fully understand that, then there really are no obstacles. You just go around whatever is in the way because there's always going to be something in the way, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter how, even if you're perfectly healthy and hit all the right marks on your, you know, the milestones that you want to make in your life, you're, there's still going to be things in the way. And for me, it was just like, okay, well, there's this here, this MS and it's a pain in the, you know what, but I'm just going to find a way around it instead. And Mm -hmm. You just have to be willing to work at it. And just be, I, I think there's a, a certain level of self-belief you have to have. You have to really believe that you can do it. And mm-hmm. so there's a confidence and a, a sense of self-worth that, that yeah. um, is important. But I think I got a lot of that from spending my life writing and doing all these things and, and enjoying that process, no matter what application. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you, you get to the point where here I am juggling school, getting this diagnosis. And then, you know, writing was again, the way around it. It was just a different way. One I hadn't planned. I think learning to pivot and just be prepared for anything is actually also a good skill. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's part of it too. Totally. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like listening to you uh, kind of explain this and share some of your story. What, what's, what I'm hearing as well is you didn't seem to make a lot of stories up about what was happening around you. Like you, you processed and you, you know, wrote and journaled and did kind of this 
self art therapy throughout your whole life. But sometimes I think when we hit a, a wall in our lives or, you know, something like a diagnosis happens or, you know, whatever our, our block may be, mm-hmm. we then mm-hmm. make a story about that of like, oh, this must mean something about me. And what mm-hmm. I'm hearing from you is you didn't seem to do that quite so much. It was just like, okay, this thing happened. How can I navigate this? What comes next? Like, and it, yeah. it was more of like a flow with life, which I think is really the beauty of life is we actually get to dance with it. And if we're willing to hand back the stories, even if they're in our own mind, if we're willing to say, actually, this doesn't have to mean anything about me, I'm just going to see what I can do next. This thing happened. Great. I'm going to feel the feelings and kind of keep, keep rolling. And that's kind of what I was hearing. Does that sound right? Yeah, it does. I love the idea of just feeling the feelings. They're all valid, even if they're negative and and uncomfortable and, you know, icky, they're all part of the process. And I mean, I, I love what you just described because for me, the images of, of really the river, the idea of a river and just jumping Mm. in the river and letting it take you. Um, And maybe that's because I live out in the mountains and there's rivers and water and, and that natural connection um, helps me to understand myself better, but sometimes just learning to not fight what's natural Mm. is better. And this is, I mean, fighting a disease, we actually, I'm not sure that we actually fight diseases. We treat diseases. What we fight are our own experiences and our own relationship to the disease, I think. And for me, it's just about just own it. This is, this is me. This is what I got. I have to now say, I have to give credit right now, though. I had two friends, really good friends of mine, who had been diagnosed with MS quite a, quite a while before. Mm. And I had watched them, not really understanding what MS was, except, you know, cr- just in a cursory way, like everyone else, mostly. You know, you don't get it till you get it. Yeah. Um, one of them is running, a, a managing a bookstore in Seattle, and the other one is now a retired life flight and critical care nurse. So mm. these were two women who raised children had a disease that could be, you know, disabling at times and they still kept going. And so when I was diagnosed, I was like, oh, well, it's, it's not a life sentence. Look at these people. So I think I also have to show a huge amount of a Mm. debt of gratitude to the people that went before me and showed me that, no, it's, it's fine. It's just what it is. And let's just do this. And they did. I mean, they're, they're amazing. And so I, I owe them a lot. That's incredible. That's really, really beautiful. And I know at the end of the episode, I always ask like, who are some people that you're admiring? And I, I love like bringing that into the conversation too, sure. because it's always just so beautiful when we can recognize the people that impact our journey and then who do model for us how to do the difficult things in life. And um, yeah, that's really incredible. I love that so much. Hey, hey, it's Megan here. We'll get right back into today's conversation. But before we do, I'm here to let you know just a little bit about my life coaching and creative consulting. As a coach, I work with creatives, misfits, and holy outsiders who often feel trapped in overwhelm, overgiving, and fear, but who also have a passion for doing something meaningful in the world. These folks are ready to hand back their past programming and rise as the leader of their own life. If this sounds like you, and you are so ready to start your own reclamation journey, let's chat. I invite you to book a free consultation with me at my website, megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com. 
Now let's dive back into today's conversation. So I'd love if you can share, I know um, I looked in your notes and you have, as far as like, what did I have to reclaim? You wrote down identity. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. Can you explain how you had to reclaim your identity and what that, just just walk us through that a little bit more. Sure. sure. So I've always kind of felt invisible anyway, being a working mm-hmm. mom behind a computer screen. I mean, that's just like, there's just nobody sees you. <laughs> Um, and so I was kind of used to that. That was fine. Cause it kind of, you know, went with some of my introversion too. I didn't mind that so much, but then having multiple sclerosis come up, I have a hard time saying it too. Um, it, it kind of cut into my career path a little bit. Right. And I was really angry about that. So because I, my identity is so linked to what I do and it's not even for a living. Cause I've written a lot for free too. It's just this mm-hmm. thing that I do. And so um, this identity was a little disrupted because there's something that happens um, when you're diagnosed with something that you don't expect and it's kind of lifelong or, you know, scary. This thing that I call diagnosis mind in which you kind of, it's like this airless kind of brain space in which you, you kind of lose your connection to hope and to perspective because everything becomes attached to this diagnosis. It's like a parasite Mm. almost. It steals your attention it steals your your thought processes. It 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 kind of takes the focus away from everything else that you're doing that's productive in the world. And then you can get depressed and you can get anxious and you can have all these other feelings. And then there's a certain level of uncertainty that comes with multiple sclerosis and other conditions because you don't know when it's going to flare up. You don't have a lot of control over your future. It could progress. I have a relapsing remitting form. So right now I'm I'm in remission and it's all good. But I know that it, the chances are good that it will turn into a progressive form, in which case it'll just always get a little bit worse all the time. So, hmm. you know, there's always that, you know, suggestion in the back of your mind. So there's that because it's like, how long do I get to go on this remission ride before it's going to jump in? And so I try yeah. not to focus so much on that. But when you're in diagnosis mind, it's like at the forefront. That's the first thing you're thinking about is, is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen today? Um, and so I think um, reclaiming my identity in the face of MS has to do with getting past that diagnosis mind and saying, wait a minute, I'm the same person today that I was before I was diagnosed. So let's get back to that agenda. And then we'll just to make some accommodations. (laughs) And so, you know, I had to change the kind of work that I did and I had to, you know, um, really have a heart and heart with myself about, you know, what's important and what are my priorities and what is it that I want and kind of take back my ownership over my identity from MS because definitely it could totally take over everything and color everything that you do and see in the world. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like what we were just talking about as well with this story, like it's that internal story. And yeah. it's, so for you, it was like what you, your words were that the diagnosis mind, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's the story. That's the loop that's playing and yes. kind of handing that back and saying, wait, no, I'm still the same person. How can I yeah. show up today reclaiming? But it sounds like it's, it's, and for many folks, it is this way, but it's even more prevalent for you with the diagnosis of MS. It's like a daily reclamation of self. Yeah. You're every single day having to show up like, okay, I have this diagnosis, but it also doesn't define who I am today and, and having Absolutely. to choose that. 
Yeah. That's the truth. That's the, I would say that every day I do wake up and I'm very conscious that I have MS and I do do a physical check-in. How tired am I? What does my stomach feel like? You know, is my brain sharp? Mm. You know, what do I need to do to get through this day? And often it's, there's not much I need to do. And other days it's like, oh, I'm going to have to just take a, you know, call in a favor and just, you know, hang out on the couch today. And a lot of forgiveness is is um, key to that and <laughs> just saying, okay, not today, but tomorrow. And then you just pick up and get back to business when you can. So, yeah. it's, but it is a daily thing. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of a mind over matter thing. It can be a serious mind game if you allow it. So um, mm. for me, I think that's even the harder thing than the pain and the physical things that crop up is just like that mental overcoming it and being, being your, you know, having agency over your body, even when this disease wants to take it over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd love to kind of move into the practical tips of this, because I feel like we're at a really beautiful stage for that. So as, as you've learned from this and as you're continually doing this on a day-to-day basis, what do you recommend for folks? So, so obviously yours is unique and there are others that may be listening who have that same unique diagnosis, but then also for just folks in general, if they're reclaiming their identity on a daily basis, what do you recommend from your experience? Well, um, I think I said it before, but I kind of have this mantra that chronic illness is not a life sentence. It's Mm. just a detour and life is full of detours. So if you can wrap your head around just the way you approach it, you're going to do a lot better because you can make choices then. It's, it's not really a case of something happening to you or at you. It's something that you are just dealing with. But, you know, again, that such is life, right? So mm. stop thinking of it as, okay, my life is over. Because it's not over. Um, only if you allow it to be over. I mean, it. it and yeah. again, there you, we're talking about a choice. The second thing is really you just don't go it alone. Find your people. Without my tribe, oh my gosh, I would be a very lonely, broken soul. <laughs> Um, And there were friends that I thought would be there for me after diagnosis that just didn't really step up. But then when they fell away, there were others that I didn't even realize were in my life in such a key way. And they totally stepped up. And then I was able to reach out uh, into this network that I've created of, um, you know, that I've built for myself of other people with MS who are writing about MS or being patient advocates, literally at like the Washington DC level and, or nonprofits and so forth. And, oh, I just love these people with my whole heart because they're also on the same path and we all have this great sense of humor and we're all there for each other. Um, it's like a team effort. And that's the only way you can be um, when you're dealing with a chronic illness is just be part of that team, find your tribe. They're waiting for you out there. They're waiting to discover you. So you just got to find mm. them, you know, and, and put yourself out there in that way. And then I really do think it's important to share your story, even if it's only with your closest loved ones. Not everybody can do this. Not everybody can express um, creatively how, you know, they have adapted or how they're not adapting or, you know, just going through this process. And it is a process and it repeats itself over and over. It's cyclical. You you feel like you have it all figured out and then something new comes up and then you kind of have to go back and relearn what you'd learned already. Mm-hmm. But again, that's life, right? So, um, but if you can share your story, there's something about even just journaling, just writing it down for no one to see, it sort of captures all these negative things or these, these heavy weights. It's like putting them in jail, you know, 
And yeah. so they're not just consuming you and your body and your mindset and your perspective and your hope. They're just there. And then you can look at them more objectively at another time and go, oh, well, I don't feel like that today, mm-hmm. which is a good thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but sharing your story in some capacity, even if it's only to help yourself, is really healthy. It's like that art therapy we were talking about earlier. It's just a way to release you know, demons and all that other stuff. Um, and then if you do want to share your story with other people, it's challenging. There are lots of challenges, especially right now with the internet being kind of a scary place. Because uh, <laughs> you can be out there doing your thing and you're still going to have people that are going to try to shut you down. It's crazy. Yeah. Just, you know, the haters and all that. But I feel actually more sorry for them <laughs> because, <laughs> because here's the deal. Here's the deal. And it's the secret that no one wants to to reveal. All of us are going to find ourselves in a position where we're sick, where we're injured. Um, We might have an invisible condition. Uh, We might have something that makes us weak and keeps us from being our full selves, even if it's just temporary. So we can all learn from each other if only we shared our stories, even if, you know, so I love sharing my story, not only just for people with MS, but for anybody with any kind of chronic illness or condition, including invisible, because most of my stuff is quite invisible Um, even though I feel it all day long. (laughs) Um, So I think it's really important to share that because again, you share with other people, it can lift them. You know, it's that rising tide lifts Mm -hmm. all boats kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And if we're all, if we get enough voices out there sharing our real lived experience, authentic experience, it's it's going, I can't imagine it being a bad thing. It can only be a good thing is it's healing for ourselves and it can be healing and inspiring and motivating for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know recently, I don't remember where it was, but I was talking with somebody or somebody was talking about how sometimes we think that when we vocalize something, it's actually like speaking negativity out into the world. However, when it's our story, it's like we can either fester and hold on to the, you know, hard parts of our story, or we can put it out and let it out, giving it air to breathe. So then Mm -hmm. suddenly, like you said, we can see it more objectively. We can, we can choose to let it go. If we want Mm -hmm. to, we can choose to, you know, help other people utilizing our story, but just holding onto it. And, and yeah, just like, I feel like in my mind, I just feel like this, like not in my belly and in my chest, you know, like when we hold on to our stories, that's what that is. And when we yeah. let it come out, it's like, oh, oh, wow, there's a breath of fresh air. We get an opportunity oh, yeah. for a new story, something new to can can be made now. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like you lo- you feel like you lost weight. <laughs> and <because laughs> yeah. Offloading. And yeah. I mean, uh, I've done some meditation, which is supposed to be a very good thing to do if you have um, a neurological condition for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons. And one of the images I have is when you're sitting there, um, trying to get calm enough to meditate. You have all these like passing thoughts to come in. And so I kind of envision them as a bird or an airplane that is in my field of vision. And then it just flies away. And I kind of think about that when I think about expressing my story or sharing my story, it's putting it on a a jet airline and sending it off the screen (laughs) and it's out in the world. 
-hmm. but um, it's not here with me now. And now I have this like nice, peaceful sky to look at so I can release it. You are absolutely right. If you don't, it will fester. And then it, that will show up in parts of your body. And, you know, the yeah. stress, stress does that. And mm -hmm. who needs it? It's already bad enough to have the illness. So why compound it, you know? So, yeah, I definitely agree that sharing, it, it's just everyone wins. Everyone mm -hmm. wins, even if there are still those people out there that are going to try to take advantage of you or be hurtful. They're always going to be there. And, you know, you have to just find that. And I have to say, before we go very much further, that I still do have bad days. I don't want anyone to think, oh, it's all, you know, candy and roses and sunshine and, you know, all of that. There are sometimes really bad days where I just yeah. can't, and especially in the last year where I had pain issues and I couldn't go see a massage therapist. And I was just like racked with pain and trying to, you know, can't really can't go out in the world because of the pandemic. And so using every tool I had in my tool chest to deal with pain or some other weird symptom. And it gets very frustrating when you're trying, if you have a lot of cognitive problems happening when you are on a deadline and you're trying to get your work done. So I do have those bad days, make no mistake. And, um, but I guess I just, at some point you just learn to accept that it's going to happen and it's easier and better for you to just not fight it and let the, anytime you have a bad day, it's your body saying you need to take a break. So just take your break and don't feel guilty. It's okay. You're not lazy because I always get my work done. I always get it done on time. I just need to take a little bit, a little bit of a break and maybe shuffle my schedule a little bit and be flexible and pivot. Like I mentioned earlier, and it always works out. It always works out. So you just yeah. have to have a little faith in yourself too. So, yeah, I feel like that um, circles back to <clears throat> some statements you were making earlier as well, just about like kind of checking in saying, how do I feel today? What do I you know need today? And I think that's important for anyone to ask in mm -hmm. such where you can really check in and, and honor yourself wherever you're at. And that forgiveness piece that you'd mentioned before as well. Yeah. Yes. Be fierce about it. Honor yourself. It's exactly it. You really, no one's going to do it for you or better than you. So mm. you put yourself, it's not selfish to practice self-care and that's a part of yeah. self-care. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And then I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your book. So it's called okay. Intention Tremor. So yeah. tell me what is in this book? What is it your story? Fill us in. Yes. Yeah. So I, I started writing it, you know, as I'd mentioned earlier, kind of as a form of art therapy, you know, you can write Often I will write just to, you know, offload a lot of energy and, and thoughts and just to free up my my sense of calm, you know, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, drop that weight. Um, but I also felt like, okay, so like everybody else in the world, if they have an access to the Internet, if you become diagnosed with something, the first place you're going to go, <laughs> you're going to go <laughs> online. It's wrong. No one should do it. But we all do because we want to yeah. know more. I definitely wanted to know more about my condition and I had people in my life who had it that I could get information from and I had great doctors, but I'm still going to go try to learn everything I can. And so I started that process too. And that process alone was very educational. And one of the things I realized is that you can get all the clinical information you want, but it is not going to, it's not going to distill out into advice for daily living. You know, how do you get through like, oh, I invited my friends over to watch the 
Academy Awards, but now I have this like terrible stomach issue and I'm going to be in the bathroom the whole time. So I'm going to have to cancel. Mm -hmm. That's something that happened. You know, these are like real world scenarios that you have to deal with when you have a chronic illness of some kind. And there is no way to get that kind of help from just a website. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just not going to happen. So, um, so what I have always believed, um, story itself is healing and story can also be in the form of poetry as well as prose. Mm-hmm. And I think often many human truths are better explored through creative writing like fiction mm-hmm. or creative nonfiction essay or poetry. And so I started looking around for books on living with MS and I didn't really find very many. I found a couple of really wonderful memoirs like Mitch Sturgeon's memoirs. Fantastic. I absolutely love it and highly recommend it. And so I thought, well, here I am a poet and I always do better when I have an assignment. If I'm a writer, Mm, I just decided I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write this book of poetry. And it started out as a collection that was going to be what's called an abecedarian, which describes a collection of work in which each piece in the work starts with a different letter of the alphabet. So the first poem starts with the, the title starts with the letter A the second one with the letter B. So Mm. all the way through to the end. And I had written about 21 of the 26 letters of the alphabet when I realized um, I'm a prose writer first. And I felt like it was kind of dishonest to not have some prose in there too. And then I started looking at the ABC order of the poems and realizing that they really needed to be shuffled around a little bit to maybe capture a more of a, a memoirish you know, through line for my story, those five years. And so I gave myself permission to not do the Abyssadarian anymore mm-hmm. and to write some um, some prose pieces as well as some really formal, chunky poetry that is not, that's, that cleaves to a very specific form. So I have this like eclectic mixture, it turns out, of, you know, prose and poetry, um, formal and free verse, uh, prose poems, these uh, fragmented essays and it's just kind of all of this but it there's a continuity to it because it sort of follows the journey and mm. I really loved how it worked out and after I gave myself that permission I felt I really loved my book then so yeah. I put this together and I sent it out and of course it was rejected lots and lots of lots of times more than anyone wants to admit to excuse <laughs> <laughs> me and then I uh, I hooked up with uh, Lana Ayers at Moonpath Press, and she there is a little bit of like magical imagery that comes through in my writing, um, and so she picked up on some themes in there and really found what I wrote to be very valuable. And so about a year ago, she said, "I'd love to publish your book. I think this wor- book needs to be out in the world. People need to read it." Which I was like, "Hallelujah." And so we got into the process. And so we went to production and it came out officially in January, although I had some, you know, my pre-orders earlier in the year. But um, what what an experience it it has been amazing. Um, That was a really, really good publishing experience. So Moonpath Press is a really fantastic publisher. It's a small press. They did a beautiful job. I'm really proud of this book and I'm, I'm really so thrilled that other people are able to read it and find value in it. So absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I was going to say, and I did want to, before I forget, cause I will always forget something. And this is like a really important thing. 
I the the proceeds that I earned from the sale of this book go to something known as the Accelerated Cure Project, which is a nonprofit which does a couple of things. They help fund research by accelerating the data collection and management um, from MS researchers, which is really mm-hmm. like the thing that takes the longest because there's they have to do the actual research, but then they collect the data and then they have to crunch all those numbers. So one of their jobs is to accelerate that number crunching process. And the fact is that right now, MS research is like at a standstill because mm. all the resources, everything is going toward COVID, which is for good reason, of course. Yeah. But when they can jump back in, they're going to need all the acceleration they can get because something like two, what is it? 200 people every week are diagnosed with MS in the United States. That's mm. like a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like 200, but that's, every, you know, that's a lot. So, and it's just, you know, there's millions of people around the world that have it. So, so I'm really happy to be contributing my portion, hundred percent of my portion of the sales of the book to help them. They also have this patient forward advocacy group called I Conquer MS. And they actually send a lot of my peers to Washington, DC to uh, address um, inequities or to shape policy surrounding chronic illness, you know, treatment and funding and all of those like kind of maybe boring topics that are actually really helpful for people who need like benefits to mm-hmm. get through and, and money, that kind of thing. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm donating, I want to say I want to, I'm donating um, my profits to help them. They're a great organization. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you for, for making sure to like stop me and, and share that. Cause that's a really beautiful <laughs> thing to know about that for folks who are and will go and purchase the book. That's just really beautiful to know. But I do have a couple other things I wanted to mention just when yeah. you were talking about story and the power of story. It's so true. And I think that it really this ties back to sharing your story. Um, but I love that you put all of these experiences into a book. I know just recently I finished a book um, and it was, it was different. It was about someone who had cancer, but it just, mm-hmm reading, it was just in blog post format. So someone had taken all of her blog posts and put them into a book. Awesome. And reading her experience, it was just like, you know, daily and weekly blog posts gave me so much more understanding and compassion for her experience and for just folks who have cancer for their experience. And, you know, hearing like the actual play-by-play of the emotions that they're having to face and the decisions and the, um, you know, the going to radiation and like, hearing that from the perspective of someone who's actually going through it is Mm -hmm. huge. And I feel like the more stories that we share, it really does. It not only benefits other people who are going through that experience, but also the people around, because then it's like, Oh, like I may never have the experience of having MS, but I can see myself, like I can put myself into your story and have understanding for it when I read your book, when I experience the poetry and the prose. So I think that's really beautiful. And I actually have also this book over, over my, my shoulder here. So folks listening can't see it, but that's actually my grandmother's book of prose and musings. Oh, She passed away last year, but it's also like, it's a similar thing though. I can go back and I can capture a piece of her that will be alive forever because she wrote it down. And that's, that's I think also, yeah, that's the beauty of writing. So, um, and that kind of leads me to my last kind of piece here before we move into wrap up questions. It's just for uh, folks who are writers or who want to be writers, what Mm -hmm. thoughts do you have for those people? Just like maybe a little tidbit. 
Oh, wow. That's, it's a tough one. If, if you want to be a writer, um, just hook up with writing communities, wherever you're at, there's always somewhere local that you can reach out to, or if not locally, because maybe you're too rural, go online and find a writing group and just start pouring it out. And if you can find people who are writing specifically about chronic illness, and that's what you want to do, hook up with them, read read everything exhaustively. You'll get so inspired, actually. Like you were just describing, I mean, you just develop this level of compassion for somebody you don't even know, right? Yeah. And that's that that translates out in the world. And that's the kind of energy that we all really need right now. So yeah. um, I think it's writers should should do it and they should seek out teachers and mentors and classes and workshops and and learn your trade. And if you're not interested in getting published and having it out in the world, just sit down and write it for yourself in a journal. Mm -hmm. There is journals and diaries are immensely powerful tools for your own health and well-being just to Mm -hmm. get that stuff on the page. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know with coaching, journaling is a a huge part of what I encourage my clients to do with just, you know, I I provide prompts and questions and it gives people the Mm -hmm. opportunity to process a lot internally without even realizing it in a lot of ways. So it's so powerful. Oh yeah. It's amazing what a couple of words can, you know, you can just sit there and and just spin off a couple of words and it can pop so many ideas and inspirations can pop up and it can be so empowering. I love it. Yes. It's so good. So good. All right. Wrap up questions. (laughs) What is one way you slow down amidst our busy world? Oh, Oh, gardening and going out in nature. I mean, going offline too. So even (laughs) I do love listening to podcasts when I garden, but often I'll just not even put the headphones in and I will just be out there listening to the birds and just the wind and the trees, Um, just unplugging, gardening. I go camping a lot, uh, riding, of course, hiking, going to the beach. I mean, living in a natural space is just like everything. I just feel like that's, that's almost like something that needs to be prescribed. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> I love nature. That's my, my happy ah. place when I can get out in nature. Oh, yeah. Real. yeah. So good. And then who are a couple of humans that you deeply admire or folks you are currently learning from? Oh, um, there are so many people, but I do want to put in word for Alice Wong. She is this amazing disability advocate down in California. She is just killing it. She is mm-hmm. she is leading this great movement toward more what she calls in her book of the same title, Disability Visibility. It is a must read for everybody and anybody. I don't care what kind of walk of life you are. You just read it. Um, she has been really ferocious lately um, during the pandemic because people with so many mm-hmm. chronic illnesses and, and high risk conditions are really dealing with a very separate and more uh, keenly uh, terrifying prospect yeah. when it comes to COVID. So she's been doing all kinds of work in the trenches. And, you know, this is a gal who's just can't just walk in. She's, she's got definitely limitations and it doesn't stop her. So mm. I'm, I'm just hugely, you know, she's so inspiring to me. I also really love uh, the mo- the film that came out that was nominated for Academy Award, Crip Camp. I highly recommend everyone watch that movie. I think the film member, film filmmaker's name is Jim Lebrecht. You really got to watch it. You just, just get some insight into what it means to not have this quote unquote 
normal, healthy life. It, it, mm. To just see people in a different way that's really healthy and good for everybody. And then I, I there are just so many writers I can't even tell you, but um, one of my favorites is Tara Hardy. She's written some poetry and prose that is just again fierce and calls out inequity and screams at her disease and says, No, not you, mm. not today, and with good humor, believe it or not. And so writers like that just really inspire me, they're so empowering. And then I would have to say Kathy Young at the FUMS, F-U-M-S podcast. And that's exactly what it sounds like, F-U-M-S. She <laughs> is a really a wonderful, wonderful source of support and advocacy. Dave Bexfield at Active MSers is a delight. He will get you out there, move in your body. You can't not do that if you're around him. And then other people like Kathy Chester, Laura Kolakowski, and the Digmans who are out there pushing for healthy policy in Washington, D.C. Thank you. That's such a beautiful list of, of folks, and I have not heard of any of them. So it's a really beautiful place to start as far as me just becoming a little bit more aware of MS and its impact. So thank you for sharing those. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then how can we find and support you online? And how oh, can we great. buy your book? <laughs> okay, so the book is easy. IntentionTremorBook.com. All one word, dot com. IntentionTremorBook. Easy. Um, and then you can also find there, you can, I have an event calendar. There's all kinds of events that have already been recorded that you can watch. There's some coming up that you can tune into. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. And we will include all of those links as well in the show notes so people can easily Perfect. access them. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today, for giving of your energy. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, I just really appreciate you sharing your story and encouraging other folks to share theirs. So I, I really am glad for the opportunity. And I hope even if I just helped one person to get over some kind of obstacle for themselves, then it was, you know, a really worthwhile day for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Reclamation Podcast. I hope it served you on your own reclamation journey and know that I am rooting for you all the way. If you are desiring support on your journey, head to megscolleen.com. That's M-E-G-S-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com to learn more about me and my current coaching offerings and availability. If you want to learn more about the show guests, head to the show website, thereclamationpodcast.com. And last, but definitely not least, if you found value in the show, sharing this episode with friends and posting a quick review is always appreciated. As always, reclamation is yours.